Hey, I know you're probably driving or running or cleaning the house or doing something else when you're listening to this, but look, if you're a B2B marketer and you need to start generating revenue from your marketing, then you have to check out our 12-week program, the B2B Incubator. It's built for small, in-house B2B marketing teams with limited time and budget. We give you the strategy, the templates, and the tools to start driving revenue, not just leads. So if you're ready to act on all the advice Kevin and I give you, next time you take that first sip of coffee in the morning, make sure you head to the B2B Incubator and apply now. There's only 10 spots available per cohort with our next one launching at the end of May, 2024. Remember, the B2B Incubator, apply now so you don't miss out. We've had B2B marketing managers, CMOs, marketers in demand generals, content leads, and more all go through this program and they're currently executing the demand strategies that they've created. Some are now even contributing as much as 80% of the pipeline to their business after working through it. Make sure you check out the b2bincubator.com and apply now to start driving more demand and more revenue for your brand. Okay, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the B2B Playbook Podcast. Each week, we discuss strategies and tactics to help B2B businesses grow online. We're your hosts, Kevin and George, a couple of digital marketing professionals. We've waded through the noise and made the mistakes so you don't have to. The B2B world has changed and you need to put your customers at the heart of your marketing. We'll cover how you can use our framework, the five Bs, to create a brand that customers are ready to buy from, love and advocate for. We'll get insights from successful people in the industry and cover the latest trends to keep you on the cutting edge of the B2B world. If you're interested in B2B marketing strategies and tactics that work, then this podcast is for you. Subscribe to get the latest from the B2B playbook first. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer. Welcome back to the B2B playbook. Kevin, does does my shirt look a bit see-through? No, it's okay, but I'm not the best with color. You know, I'm a little little bit color challenged, so it could be. It could be. Quite vain of you, George. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just looking at myself in this video recording, Kevin, and as you know, I have officially reached uh, B2B influencer status because <laughs> the very kind people at Cube have sent me an edge light. So now I have a, a proper influencer light. That's why I'm seeing you in maybe a little too much detail this week. <laughs> yeah, you can see everything. It's like Superman's x-ray vision. <laughs> uh, you can see everything. That's, you can see way too much, actually. Uh, look, Kevin, I promise that this wasn't a, um, a, a paid sponsorship. The folks there were just kind enough to send me one. And I'm just mentioning it because, you know what? It's it's pretty great, except it is probably making my shirt look a little see-through. Well, George, I'm sure it'll come up grainy when you post it on LinkedIn so no one will really notice. Let's hope that solves the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It compresses everything, doesn't it? And uh, Kev, I wonder if anyone who's been you know, following the videos that we release on LinkedIn, I wonder if they've noticed that in this video, actually, my fig plant, my ficus behind me, uh, is has almost disappeared because it was a very big casualty of my trip away. Now, oh, no. listeners might not have realized, but I've actually been away for the last month just traveling around, and Kevin and I pre-recorded the whole lot of episodes, and I left my cousin in charge of watering it, and uh, he's done a pretty awful job. So we had to cut off about 15 branches. That thing has been about 18 months in the making to grow that, and it's all been undone. 
all been undone in one month, Kevin. That's certainly not the consistent effort that we advocate for here on the BBB Playbook, is it? Oh, I love it. I love that's that's your way of telling me to move on from this rubbish bit and like let's get into the content. And you know what, Kev? I actually I couldn't agree more. This is garbage. <laughs> let's move on. What are we talking about today, Kev? Well, George and listeners, uh, we're coming towards the end of season three, but we still have a few tricks up our sleeve. Um, so as we've been talking all through the season, it's all about be seen. Be seen is the third B in our five Bs framework. And the five Bs listeners, as you as you well know by now, is be ready, be helpful, be seen, be better, and be the best. And be seen is all about amplifying that helpful content that you've put out there and you're continuing to put out there in the second B, be helpful. It really helps you to amplify all that helpful content to the right people and therefore accelerate your growth. Um, we really want to emphasize that point that what we see as be seen is really an amplification tool of your be helpful content. It's just a tool for amplifying the previous stage. So keep that in mind as we go through this episode. As well as the above context, this season we've been covering the two ways to be seen. We talked about the ABM approach first and we ran through all the different steps in that approach. And we've been talking about how to approach it from a paid ads angle, but specifically with a demand gen focus. Today though, as mentioned last week, we're talking about some of the common channels that you can use to run paid ads well in Be Seen. The context again, listeners, for Be Seen is that we've talked about how to build a feedback loop from your content, your helpful content to ads, then understanding and picking the different channels. And this week, listeners, as mentioned, we're going to give you some of our best picks for channels to start your B2B marketing with paid ads. And Kev, before we dive into these different channels and platforms, I do just want to remind our listeners that these are just ones that Kevin and I are using at the moment for some of our clients. But of course, when you come to choose your own platforms, it's very important to talk to your customer, map the journey, find out where it is, where they're hanging out, both offline and online. And that's where you should be spending your budget. So just because we're doing it in these places, it doesn't mean that this is the right option for you. Yes, very good, George. Uh, make sure listeners to go back to first principles and figure out which of those right channels, where your dream hundred already living, where your dream customers are already congregating online. Those are the places to start. In any case, jumping straight in, um, probably our top pick is LinkedIn paid ads. So this is probably one that you've heard a lot about from us. Uh, we've mentioned it quite in quite a few episodes with quite a few examples. And while it is often expensive to, to test and to run, um, if you've ever run any LinkedIn paid ads, you would know this. You can be very targeted with a B2B audience, and that's a big differentiator from a lot of the other channels available to you right now. This is because the targeting options include things like job title, company, industry, location, even things like the size of businesses. So that can really help you tailor in and hone in on your target demographic, on your target dream customers, and also on people in that buying community around your dream customers. It's quite unique, isn't it, Kevin, in the, the layers of targeting that it gives you. It's, it's pretty hard to find that in any other platform. Now, of course, that targeting is only as good as the people who are actually on the platform and using it regularly. Um, if you are targeting corporates, we do find that a lot of them are on LinkedIn. Uh, it's becoming more and more part of the, uh, the corporate world, I guess, uh, to be on LinkedIn, to be posting on LinkedIn. 
uh, even if a lot of those posts are just reshared garbage, Kevin. Um, people are on LinkedIn, so it means that they're there and available to be advertised towards, or as we would say, Kevin, to be helped because that's what we're doing with our paid ads budget is we're sending helpful information their way. So LinkedIn's a great one. Yeah, George, and I think beyond just simply putting an ad version of your person images on, that's not what we're really talking about when we come to approaching LinkedIn paid ads. We we think that the approach that you should take should really go beyond just that simple boosting of what you're already posting, whether that's videos or images or posts and content. You should also be doing those helpful content formats like lead gen, conversation ads, um, but all that should center around still sharing helpful content. So Legion ads can be he- helpful in terms of sharing helpful content. If it's a report that is in a PDF format, if there's specific call-outs that's easy to share, you can run a Legion ad for that, sure. Um, but make sure that the focus of the ad, whatever form it comes in, it's not only a rehash of your best performing content, but also gives that helpful content to a wider audience, maybe um, you know, adding extra value uh, to make sure that people don't build a negative connotation to your ads so that they're not really feeling like they're seeing the same message again and again, or it's a very simple rehash of what's already out there. And I will say, Kev, on lead gen ads, I know it does get a fair bit of hate out there because everyone is saying, including us, try not to gate your content, meaning try not to make a barrier uh, for someone to access their content. Don't make them use their, their email to access your content. And a lot of that comes from that idea that really we should be using this content to, to help people and to educate them. And if we're going to make them jump through hoops to view that helpful content, then that's not particularly helpful, is it? And there's probably a great portion of people who are just going to be like, you know what, I'm so sick of giving over my email to people in exchange for reports that aren't that great. I just don't want to do it. So just be careful when you are using lead gen ads. And I will also say, be careful if you do use them, that it's they're not leads that should just be passed on to the sales team. As you mentioned, Kevin, they are just points of contact with people that you can then use to educate them further when it's useful and helpful to them. If it's a super relevant webinar, then absolutely, like you, they gave you consent to use that email, that's the time to use it. It's not the pass on to sales. Totally agree, George. Uh, all these ad formats, there's a time and a place, the right way to use them. And we're just seeing a lot of misuse of that um, and it's clouding the view of when they should be used and there are certain scenarios where they can be used. So turn your mind to that and, and really consider if it's helping your users. And the same thing goes with things like conversation ads. You know, that's probably a lot later touch point than most people think, um, but it is a powerful one when the right time comes for it. That's it, Kev. You know, we're here to build relationships at scale and uh, relationships aren't really built when things aren't personal. So just keep that in mind. Cool, George. Well, the second one that we probably would invite our listeners to consider when, when they run a B2B marketing uh, paid play with a demand gen uh, focus is actually paid search ads. So again, it's one that maybe gets a bad rap in B2B and often is applied in B2C to good effect. It, it is still a very useful tool, um, not specific to B2B space, but generally paid search ads just offer you very high intent to buy. Um, so it's very low funnel, it's very high intent, um, and that's due to users really self-qualifying based on what they're searching. 
Um, so because of that clear indicator of intent, it is worth considering. Um, but again, it's similar to like lead gen ads and conversation ads. It's gotta be used in the right place in the right way at the right time. Uh, again, the cost can be high and you'll likely see a lot more competition um, more and more over time. So keep those things in mind. And it's probably not ideal if you need a lot of touch points with your dream customers just to run this channel, but it can be a helpful additional channel closer to the end um, of that user journey or even at the beginning for discovery purposes against maybe some of your competitors who already have generated some demand in the market. Uh, that's a particular use case for it, um, but just be careful with that. But again, there's high intent there, there's high intent to buy. So it, it is still worth considering if it has a place in your overall marketing mix. Another point is because it's so close to you know the end of that user journey, it's often used right at the end there to influence that final decision-making. It's often used to influence the final decision, but you probably want to be influencing decision makers much earlier. And so that means that if that's not the touch point you're going after, you probably should be considering another channel to help you get that access, get that uh, connection with those decision makers much earlier. All right, folks, quick breather here. In my time in B2B marketing, generally I've come to realize that there are just certain tools that can be an absolute game changer. And that's why I'm really excited to talk about Leadfeeder. Uh, it's a tool that helps you cut through the data and turn those website visitors into solid leads and opportunities for your business. Leadfeeder shows you which companies are checking out your site, tracking their behavior, and it integrates all of this with your CRM. And the result is it's basically like a secret weapon for targeted lead engagement, and it really makes it easier for your team to convert website traffic into sales. Head to leadfeeder.com, give it a free demo, and you'll also get a free extended premium trial when you let the rep know that you found out about Leadfeeder through the B2B Playbook podcast. That's leadfeeder.com. Okay, check it out. Back to the show. We'd consider it a, a demand capture channel, wouldn't we, Kev? It's just there to capture any demand that exists for the current uh, market category product that it is that you're competing in and selling. So it's not there to actually generate demand. You're really just using it as a tool to capture. And I will say, Kevin, that even if you start with those really high intent keywords, so for example, if you're selling CRM solutions, you want to use Google Ads and you bid on the keyword, you know, uh, CRM solutions by now, whatever it might be, something right at the bottom of the funnel. The quality of those leads that actually come through might not be as good as you think they are. Uh, because I mean, as you know, there is so many different types of CRMs and it's very likely that for your CRM to work in the market, it has to actually be tailored to a particular part of the market. It has to do one thing better than another. For example, Pipedrive is more geared towards salespeople. HubSpot is probably more geared towards inbound content marketing. So there's actually specific niches within the CRM market. And I bring that up, Kev, because the issue with demand capture platforms is they're really not very good at enabling you to target those demographic, firmographic, and psychographic qualities that actually make a very good fit between that person searching and your product. Yep, that's a very good point, George and listeners. Um, I'll just re-emphasize that. Demand capture channels like paid search are often not very good 
at making those distinctions between segments within segments that you actually want to target. Uh, they often lump things together just based on the way that you know search engines and things like that are built, uh, organized to run ads. Uh, so always keep that in mind as, I guess, a limitation to how much you can tailor that experience just with that particular channel. And it's a different story if you're doing it with remarketing, you can go a bit broader with people who have shown actual in interest and engagement in your particular brand and your particular products. That might be a little different because they're already, uh, they're already self-identified or segmented otherwise as interested in your product. But just be careful with how you use these uh, demand capture channels. Well, that's why LinkedIn was such a great buy for Microsoft, wasn't it, Kev? Because, I mean, they have Bing, of course, the search engine. They bought LinkedIn, which has all this awesome demographic, firmographic data, and now they can blend the two, and you can actually start to use that targeting on Bing, or Microsoft Ads, as it's called now. That's right, George, and I'm looking forward to how they can really integrate and leverage that more. I think it, it is a dark horse in the space that people are still starting, just starting to explore. Um, but yeah, uh, onwards and upwards there, I think. Okay, George, we just put boosting uh, ads and that sort of thing through the ringer a bit uh, earlier when we talked about LinkedIn ads and how you really shouldn't just repurpose things and, and boost things and you should really try and tailor it. But again, it's one of those that, you know, if you're just starting out, if you're just starting out and trying to figure out what paid ads look like and do and how they function, it is a fairly easy way to ensure that you're getting the most out of your best performing content. And to test the waters with paid ads, it's a very easy first foray into paid ads. So if you're just starting out on that paid journey, that's something we would definitely recommend you to try. Focus on your best performing content first because that's most likely to have that cut through, that impact that organically that content already has, that naturally that content already had. And just be careful with your targeting. Make sure that you're going after maybe new segments that you want to go deeper into uh, and try and avoid remarketing to the audience that has already seen your organic posts already in your sphere. If you can, if you can exclude those audiences, that would be a great way to maximize your return on using boosting as a form of paid advertising. I'm actually a huge fan of boosting organic ads, Kev, provided it's got the right targeting with it because you've already got content that you know works and has engagement. So if you have a handful of posts that have done really well and they've got engagement with your with your dream audience, with your dream customers, then more often than not, particularly if it's helpful content, it it works better when you're pushing that helpful information to your dream audience as opposed to packaging it up, making it look like an ad with that helpful information attached. That organic play really helps get that cut through. I guess it brings that layer of authenticity and trust with it that really is lacking when people run ads. And Kev, I think we are all suffering from banner blindness, right? We're so sick of seeing ads that I think we all just come to tune them out. But if that ad instead looks just like organic content, then we're much more likely to pay attention to it. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head, George. And on top of that, it's very low effort and investment to get it running and to start testing. And the chances of your results are higher generally because you are focusing on the stuff that's already working in, um, in just posts and regular posts. So you're really starting from a very good foundation. But as you touched on there, George, the, the prerequisite is that the targeting is right. Uh, if the targeting is not great, then that obviously really impacts the, the sort of results you can get out of boosting. 
And that's probably one that a lot of people will gloss over quite quickly when they're setting up boosting and it's something that over time they learn to really tailor. All right, Kev, what about native advertising? I know that you've played around in the native advertising space probably a bit more than I have. Um, how have you have you found that? Well, first of all, perhaps explain to, to our audience what native advertising is. Yeah, I think the easiest way to explain native advertising is it's those like you might also like reading uh, blocks at the end of a news article site or something like that. Maybe you're scrolling through a bunch of uh, interesting articles and at the end in a section you know, you get a, a couple of images and uh, in a section that's called, you know, you might also like reading these. And and native advertising effectively makes um, what is essentially an ad look native to the particular platform or site you're already on. So one of those tiles might actually be a sponsored ad that's a form of native advertising. And that's a link to out to another site. And so sometimes when you're browsing article after article, you might find that you're you're ending up on a different site uh, without you realizing. And that's the work of native advertising a lot of the time. Um, so quite powerful because the idea is that what you're showing the potential reader, the person that you're trying to get in touch with, there's a lot of authority that gets uh, attached to your piece because it looks native to a site that you trust. I mostly get sent fat loss articles, Kevin. So I don't know <laughs> um, what the data is on me. <laughs> in the network that they're tapping into. <laughs> Maybe you need to uh, clear your browsing history, whatever that might be. <laughs> <laughs> I have just come back from a month in Europe, so mostly just uh, eating. Well, there you go. Maybe you'll change in a month. <laughs> but yeah, swinging back to native advertising, as I mentioned, it makes your article link, whatever that form comes in, look native to that website. And um, it is... It is quite effective when you couple it with remarketing with another channel, something like a call to action to maybe submit an inquiry or to check out a particular resource. Those are the things that it works well with. It is a very much a nurture tool. And so the idea is that it's another great way to boost your top performing pieces of content, your top performing articles in a fairly non-intrusive way. And again, targeting is important, but with native advertising, What's really interesting is you also get this additional boost on those articles from an SEO sense. And this is something that I've tested and I've seen results. And maybe it's just my shaky experiment setup, but um, we definitely noticed you know, increases in the organic traffic that came to particular uh, articles and, and the amount of exposure that naturally comes to a particular piece when you run native ads as well. So on top of the direct traffic that is being sent to a particular piece of article that you're running native advertising on, there does seem to be a knock-on effect. So it's like a double whammy. And because of that, that then makes native advertising quite interesting to try and see if it works on your top performing pieces of content. That's interesting. I suppose um, by amplifying that particular article through native advertising, getting more people to it, there's more opportunities for backlinks. But we know that Google is so much more sophisticated than just looking at backlinks when determining whether or not a site should be ranked high or low in Google search. Uh, of course, like they are really emphasizing user experience. So if you are driving traffic to a site and it actually has people like sticking to that site and reading that whole article, if it's good, I could definitely see why they would choose to rank that higher. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I do think there's an element of that involved and that probably explains it a little bit. You know, Google gets smart over, smarter and smarter over time and they'll probably recognize uh, those kind of links from native advertising if they're not doing that already and discounting the value. But it does still seem to at least have some sort of knock-on effect other than um, that direct link. Um, so that's one worth exploring. But again, uh, like all these suggestions that we've made, make sure that the content that you're pushing is helpful. Make sure that it's of value to your intended audience. I will say, Kevin, that um, native advertising is probably more of a supplementary channel. I would explore others which provide you with greater targeting beforehand. And the native advertising is really good for creating that effect of like, oh, I'm seeing this company everywhere. So you're hitting them with multiple touch points and we're not just doing it for the sake of it, you're still pushing helpful information. So I would never equate native advertising with something like a banner ad because that is literally just a brand impression that probably isn't registered in anyone's brain at all. You're actually pushing people helpful content that's still associated with your brand. But as we said, unless you're doing retargeting, um, the initial targeting isn't as good as something like LinkedIn ads. Yeah, that's right. It's a very good point to make. Uh, the targeting is much broader. And in that sense, it's more similar to display. But as you said there, it really isn't something that you should equate to a display ad. Um, sure, the audience is a lot further from a purchase decision, much like uh, display compared to the other channels that we've suggested above, but it's still an important way to reach those that might be aware of your brand, not ready to buy or interact with yet, but again, it's popping up again and again and, and pushing helpful content to them as a nurture step in that journey. A few quick specifics to help you get started. A commonly used provider here where we are is Tabula. There's also things like Outbrain, um, and I believe Microsoft uh, is really shifting their, their equivalent of display ads to be more native ads as well. So there's a few players in that market, but certainly Tabool is the one that we often come across. And the setup it shouldn't daunt you at all. It's pretty similar to Facebook and um, Instagram ads and things like that. Plenty of instructions online for, for you to explore. Very good. And Kev, I'm actually very excited for this last one that we have here, which is sponsorship. And I think sponsorship was one that was done by those who might be seen as more old school marketers, uh, but absolutely should not go away. Uh, I think there's a number of ways that you can arrange sponsorship, both in the online and offline world and current day marketers should absolutely look at it. Kev, what's sponsorship? Hey, George. So sponsorship it's one that's a little bit more involved as a channel to get up and running. Um, so you can look at things like sponsoring specific and existing forums, um, maybe virtual events or even offline events that are relevant to a particular audience that you're targeting. So effectively, some of your Dream 100 spaces, you might only be able to tap into those by paying your way in through a sponsorship. Maybe there's existing forums or virtual events that are being held and the only way that you can pay to gain access to that audience is through sponsoring the events that your brand is associated and that allows you to have a dialogue with people at that particular event or within a forum. And it's a similar thing with offline events. Uh, maybe there's a conference that's relevant to um, industry experts in your particular buying committee that you're trying to reach. Those are the sort of things where you can look for opportunities to sponsor the event, sponsor the engagement forum so that you can then uh, work your way in at those events and, and have your brand front and center with a sponsorship. 
But what else is also developing in this area, uh, and this is probably more for the B2C side, but there's also a raft of influences that are coming through. Um, and it's almost like a, a modern day sponsorship um, equivalent uh, where individuals with a lot of trust in their brand, an individual brand and have following, they can then influence uh, their audience's buying decision. And if you have an influencer agreement with them, they might call out your product, they might use your products and things like that and, and pass on discounts and, and drive a lot of users. Uh, into your brand as well. So that's, that's maybe a modern day, more B2C example of what uh, sponsorship can look like, but we, we're really advocating for you to look at all these different avenues for sponsorship and figure out where your dream 100 is and not be limited by particular formats that that comes in, particular agreements, and just focusing on, okay, what's the dream 100 places that, and, and, and forums and spaces that my dream customers are already in that are gonna have the most impact on my numbers, on the, the ability for me to be helpful with my content and go after those with sponsorships if that's the avenue in on those particular spaces. I'll throw in a quick example, Kev. Uh, email, email can be a great one, like a newsletter. Uh, there's one that I subscribe to, which is all about um, why people buy. I think that's it's called Why We Buy. And the person who started it, grew it to like, you know, quite a large following. It's got like tens of thousands of subscribers, a lot of them in the marketing area. And so then you had big marketing companies like HubSpot come in and be like, okay, we'll sponsor you. And now every time she sends out her newsletter, they've got their logo there, you know, sponsored by HubSpot. It's getting in front of the right people. Yeah, that's a great example, George. Um, email is definitely one that is, as we, we've talked about previously, it's an own channel. It's a a much better way to control the dialogue, but one way to get into somebody else's email list and own space and own channel is sponsorship, then that's still one that's worth considering if it's relevant to you. Yeah, podcasting too. Podcasting is a great one. Kev, you love listening to Tim Ferriss. Name a name a sponsor from Tim Ferriss. Oh, where do, where do I start? Who have you got? Just rattle them off. Aura Ring yep. is a good one. Yep. All Form, um, you know, Eight Sleep. Yep. You know, I, mean, I know them all. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Even though we can skip through the ads and I still mostly do on the podcast, it's still in my head and I know exactly who they are and what they do. So it, it works. Yeah, it just maybe requires a little bit more effort because usually you need to make arrangements with individual event hosts or podcasters or what have you. Um, it's not as efficient when it comes to testing, but if you know your right audiences, if you know where they're hanging out, this is probably one of the stronger channels that you can really go after. That's it. And a reminder to our listeners to always keep an eye out for new channels that are emerging. Kev, we've spoken before about the life cycle of a platform. Why getting on one nice and early can be very beneficial because often there's more eyeballs than there is content. So if you jump on early, you're going to get a lot of eyeballs for pretty cheap. TikTok was a great example of that and it's getting more and more relevant for B2B. Because of the channel's increased use for educational content that's so easy to consume. And listeners, don't feel like you've missed the boat with TikTok. You know, there's still plenty of room to grow there. And as George said there, these platforms, social platforms in particular, come in cycles. I'm sure a new one will spring up before, before long with uh, AR and VR coming down the pipeline. So we'll be in line for some more social media platforms for sure. 
But Kevin, before our listeners dive into those platforms, those new ones, I strongly encourage them to listen to the episode before this one, which is, uh, was it 48, where you and I go through how to evaluate a channel. It's a process that you and I do before we go hard and invest in a channel because we want to be sure that it's sticking around for the long term and it's going to evolve in our best interests. So make sure you do that before investing in a new channel. Great call out, George. Listeners, there you have it. Well, that is the list of some of the most common B2B paid channels that you should consider. And that also rounds out our discussion of the paid ads approach to be seen with that demand gen focus. You can find links to everything we've discussed in the show notes. And each week, we're so grateful that more and more marketers are tuning in each Monday. And that's true, George. More and more marketers are tuning in. We're not just saying that. Um, Always pleasing to see. If we can ask one thing, listeners, it would be to please leave us a short review on whatever platform you listen on or pass it on to someone who would get value from the show. It's an amazing help to us and to our listeners and future listeners, and we really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Kev. Thank you, listeners. Take care. Catch you next week. Take care. Catch you next week. A quick note before you go, listeners, you can find more great content and get in touch with us at theb2bplaybook.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter while you're there to get the latest news, tips, and resources from our playbook. We'll be back the same day and same time with another episode next week. Thanks for tuning in to the B2B Playbook. Remember, successful B2B marketing starts with the buyer.